with us a fantastic guest who I'm going to introduce to you shortly. But what I'd like to do is start by telling you about our school and then have our interim head of school tell you more about it, if that sounds okay. And this is really a great opportunity for you to learn even more about your most visible source of outreach. Okay, so this is our 51st year with an Episcopal school, and our school goes from pre-K three through the fifth grade. Now, interesting thing about our history, and some of you know this better than I do, um, 51 and a half years ago, Christ Hall was being built to be the sanctuary, and the church stopped building Christ Hall so that they could rapidly construct the school building in advance of the academic year. So this is an interesting thing. The church was meeting in a hotel, started building the sanctuary, and stopped because this church said, we want an Episcopal school for our community, and that was a greater priority than finishing this sanctuary. It's a pretty powerful story, isn't it, about how much the school has meant to our founders, and, and I think in many ways continues to be meaningful for us. Um, the school did not originally start with those eight grade levels. It was smaller, so it it's, hasn't accordion down. It's only gone up to do pre-K three through fifth grade. So initially it was more like the first through the fifth grade and added kindergarten and backed in a little bit. Um, one of the neat things about our school is that a pre-K three student does not receive daycare. They receive schooling. Right? And, and if you've had small children or grandchildren, the difference is extremely palpable. Right? The end of pre-K three, my daughter was able to read books. They weren't books like, um, yeah, I, I'm not going to say what kind they were, but she could read books. And that was an amazing testament to the school. The other thing that's been really great about this school, and I just want to tell you two sort of neat things and then introduce, as I said, our interim head of school is that over the past three years, this is my third year now, there used to be, and it always depends who the priest is, what the religious education of the school has looked like, and quite honestly, how much the congregation gets behind the school, because in some ways it depends on how interested the priest is in the school. Is that okay that I've said that? Because I just think that's true. Um, um, we've gone from having the Eucharist once a month with a lay chaplain having a chapel service once a week to having Eucharist weekly with chapel every day. So our students come here every morning. Uh, school starts at 8.05 and we start with a 10-minute chapel in which students are guided through the biblical stories beginning in Genesis. And this year, uh, last year they went Genesis through Judges. This year, after reviewing that arc, they'll finish the rest of the Hebrew Bible. And then next year they'll do the narratives of the New Testament. So you're thinking stories of Jesus, right? And that means in a three-year cycle, students at our day school come out with, with pretty decent biblical literacy, right? That's, that's sort of the objective. And there's a Eucharist once a week that is um, supported by students. So the chalice bearer is a fifth grader. And um, I want you to know, I don't know who's listening to this. I don't want to get in trouble. We're the only Episcopal school in the Diocese of Texas where our students are chalice bearers at the Eucharist. That does not happen at Episcopal High School. I'm really proud of that, even if I get in trouble for it. <laughs> uh, it's so right. It's so right. And I just want to tell you, you maybe heard me say this, I'll just tell you one of the fruits of, these store, the, fruits of the labor that, 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 that we're doing, beyond the fact that three students have been baptized in the last two years, one in chapel, the other two on day school Sunday. Otherwise, we wouldn't have had that access to them. I just want to be honest to you, with you. Um, we had a fifth grader last year who was, um, there were three fifth graders who were chalice bearers. One of them did it 80% of the time. And, you know, when pre-K three students, I mean, they're like this tall, um, come to have the Eucharist, and, and they're included in the Eucharist, right? Because we're all one school. I mean, we even say that. It used to be you can only have the Eucharist if you were grades two and up. Sad commentary, isn't it? So, so our, our pre-K threes come, they come to dip their thing, usually half their hand with it, uh, <laughs> in that cup. Um, 
And, and when the cups appear, they can't see anything. So this boy uh, who, who started out doing this, he, um, you'd see him do this pot. I mean, he would just totally bend over so these little kids, these little three-year-olds could see in the cup. Now they'd still get their hand in there miraculously. And, uh, and I watched him bend all year. And in Lent and Advent, we come to the rail. You said that they get, you know, this different way of doing it. You know, normally they intinct on their way to their seat. Some of them drink. And they'd come to the rail, and the little pre-K-3s had to stand up, or they couldn't even reach over the rail, you know. So, so he'd come around like this. i got to be careful. I won't be able to straighten up. I, that's what he'd do. And then there was two weeks left to go in the school year. And, and this boy, I mean, this is just so incredible. Without any instruction, the, three, the three-year-olds come down the line, and he got down on his knees and held that cup. And, and I'm going to tell you, it's one of those moments of just serendipitous beauty and service where, where this fifth grader com- humbled himself, right, so that other students could participate. And, uh, and I want to tell you, that's the outreach we have at this school. Now, that family is not going to join our church. I don't think so. But I'm positive that family is going to remember that the church gave them leadership. Does that make sense? They're going to come back and say, that church included me and invited me to serve, and there was that moment. I talked about it at graduation. I was so impressed, right? And that's why I'm pretty sure he'll remember that the the church and the school were there for him. This is what we do among so many, many other things. And uh, now what I'd like to do is introduce to you just very briefly, me introduce, and then let you hear from her. This is our interim head of school, Miss Mary LaTulip. She comes to us after a career of in general, secondary education with CCISD, doing things from being an assistant principal and an athletic trainer. Um, athletic trainer is interesting. Uh, I'm going to need you to bring some tape for me. Um, so so um, Mary is here, and, and the biggest hurdle that we're dealing with right now is our reaccreditation. But Mary's going to tell you about, I think she's going to tell you about whatever she wants, but this is probably going to include her experience with schools and her vision for this place after only being on the ground for about two and a half months. So let's give a warm welcome to Mary. And Mary, if you're willing to just clip this, the lapel pick up. I should tell you, we we record it because people like to listen to it at home sometimes. It's recording? Yeah, it's recording. (laughs) Oh, wow. Well, as as uh, Father Mike said, I'm Mary LaTulip. This is my daughter Jenna, and uh, someday I will tell. I'm sure Jan knows the story, but I'll be glad to share my story about my daughter and how her birth and some things we went through um, just was an unbelievable faith builder and. Uh, you know, I was over 30 years old when I had her, and so you would think before then I'd gone to church my whole life that that I had unbelievable faith, but until her birth, I didn't feel it, I didn't see it, I didn't know it. So I'll be glad to share that with anybody if you've got like three hours. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, let me tell you a little bit about me. I was born and raised in League City. My, parent, my mom actually was born in a little house on the back porch in League City in uh, 1932, I believe. Uh, and um, I grew up in League City. My parents had a little bit of lapse of consciousness and moved us to Santa Fe. So I graduated from there. But then I went off to Southwest Texas State University because they had their, the, they were the very first university to include women in their athletic training program. And so I was one of the first women to go through a licensing program. And then I got my dream job back at Clear Creek High School, which is where I wanted to be. I was there for 32 years as a health teacher, a PALS teacher, a licensed athletic trainer, and then ended my career as an assistant principal People kept saying, are you going to leave to do that? And I said, no, if I don't get hired here, I'll just stay in the classroom. I loved Clear Creek High School. I loved the traditions and everything about it. And by the way, Clear Lake was our enemy. Uh, 
but uh, <laughs> Jan and I actually taught the same subject on two different campuses, but then we went to Baylor one summer for an incredible experience of professional development. So driving back and forth to Baylor, we got to know each other pretty well. So I ended up liking Jan, <laughs> even though I wasn't so sure about Clear Lake High School. But um, anyway, so when I retired, I thought, well, this is it, I'm just gonna retire, and maybe I'll teach at the junior college level. That would be fun. So I got hired at San Jack, and one semester I taught the intro to college class, which was basically my health education class and PALS class all balled into one. I loved it, it was incredible, and I only made like $1,000 that semester and decided this isn't gonna get it. My husband, that following, uh, January was diagnosed with uh, lung cancer and so I did not work for a while I took care of him and then he passed away in April of that same year so I was kind of at a loss for about a year I hung out did some subbing substituted one full semester at Ross Elementary in Clear Creek ISD loved it and thought, boy, did I mess up staying at the secondary level all those years because elementary was so fulfilling and so much fun. Now, don't get me wrong. I loved my high school kids, loved them. I love teenagers. I just think they're, they're just an untapped resource for so many different things from community service to, you know, just all kinds of things. They're, they're great leaders. If you give them, if you give them the baton, they'll take it and run with it. You just have to trust. And so I loved that about teenagers. Um, but elementary was a whole new place. And it wasn't about discipline. I would laugh and say, you know what's different? It's not knee jerk, go to ISS, I don't wanna look at your face. It was, let's talk about why you were misbehaving in class today. What happened? You know, did something happen leading up to that? Did you have a bad morning this morning? Let's talk about what we can do tomorrow so we have a better way next time, so we have a better day tomorrow. That's what discipline was like in elementary. So it was like a continuation of my teaching, which I, I really loved. So fast forward to this summer, and I get a phone call from a friend of mine who says, hey, there's this opening at this small private school. I'm thinking you might be the perfect fit. And so we talked about it, and, uh, and I thought, oh, do I want a full-time job? I mean, I'm retired, I'm having a pretty good life, painting my furniture and keeping my house clean. And I had really, the second year after my husband passed away, and if any of you have lost spouses, you can probably attest to this, the second year was awful. The first year, I was on autopilot, just doing everything. I would, you know, uh, just did a bunch of different things to my house and all that, and all of a sudden, the second year hit, and I thought, he's not coming back. And I'm in this by myself with Jenna, and I have a son 30, but I all of a sudden, and my son lived with me the first year, and then he got a house and moved out again. Third time he's moved out. <laughs> but uh, anyway, he, uh, I thought, you know, this is awful. And so I was literally laying on the couch when I got the phone call. And I, what really attracted me to St. Thomas was uh, when I went on the website and started looking at the mission and all of the things that are going on here. And the thing that really caught my eye was it was open to everyone. It didn't matter what your religious background was. It didn't even matter if you were Christian. All that mattered was that you wanted a, a small school environment for your children to go to school and, uh, and so it piqued my interest. So I applied and got a phone call and went through that whole thing. Uh, since I've been here, I have just been in awe of these teachers. They're incredible. Um, the kids are, I'm actually learning their names pretty quick. Some of them I knew the first week. But <laughs> they are a delight to uh, work with. And then this accreditation thing, and, is uh, hanging over my head and that will happen next week. So I think we're pretty much there. 
I actually stayed home and worked yesterday to get it all put together and it looks like it's coming along. So we're gonna be okay. I don't see a problem that they would have with this school. It's, uh, it has been run historically very, very well. Um, we are working on writing a curriculum. All of our teachers work from their own curriculum based on the state TEKS, which are those essential knowledge and skills that are base. And so our teachers take it and take it to the next level. And so very rigorous, like the three-year-olds reading. They're reading by the end. For, uh, the kindergartners blow me away. I saw their journals from the beginning and the end of the year last year. Their handwriting is meticulous and perfect. And I'm writing a whole page of a journal entry. And they start with a picture and one sentence that the teacher leads them in. And they get to come read them to me every, every week, which is a lot of fun. Uh, they come and immediately push to get on your lap so they can read <laughs> their story to you. Uh, we, of course, have virtues of the month. This month is belonging. And we focus on that in chapel and then even uh, I send out lesson plans for the teachers to use and incorporate in their classes if they would like to. Along with that, at the elementary school I was at last year, they had a program called Bucket Fillers, and we've started that here this year. And it's the whole premise is everybody has a bucket, an imaginary bucket, and it either stays full or empty. If it's full, you're happy and good things are happening. If it's empty, there's been some bad things happening or somebody's been rude and they've dipped in your bucket and taken, so you have a lid you can put on your bucket. So that has been a process we've been going through and we have uh, things up in the halls. And what's really cool about it is the kids, when they come in, I have this one little boy every morning that comes in and, sit, and he's got a really deep voice for a second grader and said, I'm really concerned about Joe. Like, what are you concerned about? You know, he's not keeping his bucket full. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. He says, I really think you should talk to him about that bucket. And you know, just so funny. So they're starting to, it's starting to become part of their culture. We have a bucket in the hallway. They can nominate other students. I draw from the bucket every Monday and that child gets to pick out of the basket something fun that they want, a necklace or cars or whatever but they have to go put it in their backpack they can't they can't play with it in school and then once a month at our pep rally which last month didn't go so well but we're going to do some <laughs> we didn't know the songs we didn't know. so my fifth graders are going to get more involved in those spirit days and they're going to help lead it but we have the teachers every class has a bucket filler of the month. And that person is the one who has showed exemplary bucket filling and uh, the, uh, the knowledge in, of the virtue of the month. So they get a little certificate and they get something out of the basket. So that's how we're incorporating good character in all of our students. Um, let's see. I haven't changed a whole lot besides pickup, and, and, uh, but anything in the classroom, the teachers are doing great. Um, I, every classroom I have visited, I've seen very rigorous instruction, very high expectations of our students. And one teacher even says, look, I don't care who they are, I'm telling them every day they're, they are smart, they are gifted, they can do anything. And so she teaches all of her students at the same level and expects them to come to that level. Um, that's not true everywhere. I, I can attest to that. In some classes, they teach to three or four different levels, depending on who's in the class. Differentiation is not necessarily teaching at every different level. Differentiation is just um, using different strategies for those students, but the level is still here, okay? So that's what I'm seeing from the teachers here at St. Thomas, and it's very refreshing, very invigorating. Uh, we have started writing our curriculum um, they all have individual curriculums, but that's one of the things the board asked me to do 
and that is to get the curriculum on paper. So we've started that process, and uh, it is a year-long process. It will probably take us through next summer to get that done, but we're, we're working it. Um, okay, wishes. I wish, Vicki, uh, one of the board members asked me what my wish for the school was. Wow, I have a lot of them. And I said, can I, can I wish as big as I want? And she said, yes. So I wish we could get more numbers. I think this school is uh, uh, much, much better than the numbers we have. I think we, 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 are, we are a service to the children in this neighborhood, and some are missing out on it. So I would like to see our numbers come up because this truly is Nassau Bay's neighbor, neighborhood school. Um, the other thing I would like to see are some changes on the campus. One is I would like an art slash science lab. We have people who come here and look at our campus and one of the first things they ask is, do you have a science lab? What is your fine arts program about? Well, we don't, and I think it's very important. If, I mean, we're competing with one of the best school districts in the state of Texas. We need to understand that, and we need to do a better job of um, giving our students something better, the same or if not better than what CCISD is offering. And so an art and science lab is really big in uh, our public schools right now, the, in the uh, STEAM program, science, technology, arts, engineering, and math, is huge, and that curriculum is huge. We actually had some professional development this summer with a teacher, at, well, an ex-administrator, who ta talked to us about incorporating art into our science, technology, and engineering programs. So we need to do that. I would like to see our art classes do more than pencil to paper. I would like a kiln, okay? So to do the science and art lab, we'd have to do some reconstruction in one area of the building. That's a lot of money, but that's a wish. Uh, another wish is that I could snap my fingers and that curriculum would be written and we would all be on the same page, but that will come. Um, the other thing is uh, the beds. The flower beds, and this sounds so menial, but it's, it's a very big deal. The flower beds bef behind the building, a class each month is taking care of those beds. Now, all the topsoil I had put in before school started washed away with 50 inches of rain, but we're having that replaced, and we're going to start, second grade is going to be planting some uh, fall colors out there. And with, with each grade level, they are going to incorporate lessons about what grows this time of year, what kind of soil do we need, what's the difference between this plant and that plant. They'll do some, uh, some different lessons in science and in math. You can use a garden for math and make grids out there and then determine all kinds of stuff. We did a garden at the high school with my severe and profound special ed kids and they did a garden, and it was incredible to watch what they could do in math and science um, just by working on a garden. So we're gonna use that here. And I think that's all I have. I, I wanna thank Father Mike and the board for uh, trusting me to, to take this job for a year. Um, and uh, that's really all I have. If you have any questions, I'll be glad to. Would you talk uh, from your experience? You've been in public school your whole career, right? right? And, and we know you're a stepchild of the Episcopal Church as a Methodist. Yes, <laughs> I did not even know they were related, yeah, and I found out. Yeah. Uh, would you be willing though to talk about how your experience so far of our little Episcopal school is, is in some ways different or complementary to to CCISD? Sure. Um, well, the biggest thing I've seen is the incorporation of the spiritual uh, self and the spiritual health of students. That's what makes the biggest difference to me. Um, I taught health education, so I could talk about physical, mental, and social health, 
But there is a fourth piece to your health, and that's your spiritual health. And I couldn't come right out and say, you know, if you belong to a church, your spiritual health comes from God and Jesus Christ. I couldn't do that. I could say there is a spiritual health part, but you find your own greater being and blah, blah, blah. It was very, but here we can talk about how God influences the person we're going to be. That's the biggest difference. The other difference is uh, the small class size. The Episcopal Church doesn't, or the diocese doesn't let us get more than 12 in a class before we have an additional class. That's incredible. When public school, it's 22 in elementary and however many they can fit in high school, you know? Uh, because they use everybody on campus as a teacher and so one to 25 in some classrooms is one to 30, one to 35. I've had a class with 35, it's a lot of fun. Um, so, um, the biggest differences are class size, the family. Uh, I've commented to Mike and some other people, I feel like an outsider in a family business because I'm new coming in. Everybody here, I have a couple of new teachers, but everybody is a family. All the parents know each other, all the teachers know each other, the teachers know all the parents. It's a family. You don't find that in public school. You'll hear them say, you'll hear people say, we're a family here, but nothing like what I've seen here. Uh, and I'm starting to get there. I'm starting to feel more like family. This past week has been uh, a really good process in starting to feel like family. So uh, I'm getting there. Uh, and it will come. It's just that you know how families can be. You know, when that new in-law shows up. <laughs> That's kind of how I feel every once in a while. Um, they, the other thing that's different about here that I've had to wrap my head around is um, there's more of a, um, parents are much more involved, but that also means parents have more expectations of their time. So if well, and, and this happens all the time, if, not all the time, but on occasion, like we had a family that missed the first week of school because they have a place in Montana, and what happened the first week of school? The solar eclipse, and so they went to Montana for the solar eclipse, and so they missed like the whole week of school, and then got back in time for the, the flood. But, um, you know, that was interesting to me. I, what, wait a minute, what do we do with this child who's missing the first week of school? Well, her parents took her out, it's okay. Where in, at public school, I would have been saying, we've got to count those days. Got to count those days. If she misses any more, it's going to be unexcused and yada, yada, yada. We don't worry about that here. The other thing we don't worry about is that STAR test. One reason I retired as early as I did the, besides the fact that insurance had gotten so high that I got a raise when I retired, if you believe it. Uh, and uh, the other thing is that that STAR test and the way you have to teach for that STAR test is, it's really a sad situation. I don't agree with it. I didn't agree with what we were doing at the district level and especially the state level. and. Uh, and by the way, neither does the superintendent. He has gone to the state level and fought and fought and fought to get some things changed and it's not changing. We don't have to worry about that test. Our kids take an SAT at, uh, at some point, is it third through fifth? Haven't gotten that far yet. I'm trying to get through this accreditation. I've told everybody this week that have come into my office, can that wait until after this accreditation? So, um, but they take the SAT, so they see, and it doesn't, it just is for their own personal understanding of where they are academically. We, we aren't competing against any other Episcopal schools. We aren't competing against anyone else in our class. It's just to show us where we are now. Um, so the STAR test is, is a huge difference, uh, which I thoroughly enjoy. It means the teachers can can do it at their pace. So what that means is if they cover a unit in a week and they see that their students aren't getting it, they can go back and cover that unit again. 
in public school, we just keep going. We don't stop and pick those kids up that missed it. We might call parents and say, hey, this kid needs to come in for tutorials. But as a class, we're moving on. We're moving on. We're moving on. And we may lose three or four on the way. So that no child left behind, it's not working because, and I can get into all kinds of political things that are going on in public schools, but the difference is private schools beat to their own drum. They get to make the standards they want for their campus, and uh, we're not competing with anyone. We're just doing what's best for each individual child. Okay. Elementary? Oh, well. It's the Stanford Achievement Test, oh, so yes. it's okay. not the standardized. Say, oh, no, no, no. Okay, this, it's a private, it's a, you know. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think there's a Stanford and the Iowa test of basic skills, and I thought SAT yeah. was Stanford. I'm sorry. I should have oh, said that. I know. Private schools use that acronym that I've ever been a part of. They, we use the SAT, but again, it's very. It's not, it's it's not the SAT college level. Okay. No, I'm sorry. I should have said that. Yes, ma'am. And the SAT compares our scores against the United States. Right. And we are consistently much higher than the rest of the... Yeah, we're above the median. Mm -hmm. We And what impressed me was our eight fifth graders last year. Let me see if I have this right. Four went to the science magnets. I may have these numbers switched up. Three went to the WAVE program, which is the Gifted and Talented program, and one chose to stay at Space Center. That child could have gotten into either one of those, but wanted to go to Space Center. That's huge. That is huge when you have 100% of your graduates who are either WAVE or Science Magnet. Uh, it's really big. There are very high standards to get into those schools. Yes, sir. It's been so great to have Oh, thank you. I think, you know, you, I want to say as an educator that it's the academics, which I think is one reason, but the other reason is the social, it's a, it is a family. We are small enough that everybody feels welcome. Our parents can come to chapel every morning with their children, and we have several that come every single day. We have some that come on Wednesdays for Eucharist and take Eucharist with their child. So it's the family feel, I think, that is one of the biggest. Um, but the academics, on the, on the other hand, and we have parents, we got two new students this week, both from public school. Neither felt like their child was being pushed to the level that they, they needed to be pushed. And they were younger children. We obviously, we will take them any time of year and get them where they need to be. Yes, sir. Yeah, and, and so as a follow-up, <coughs> what you want when Vicki asked you that. Mm -hmm. uh, I think one thing that probably goes with the what you want is we earnestly want a way of being able to diversify, build our numbers by diversifying our school That has been a thing that we've been, you know, trying to unlock for a long time, and we still are. Which and means the parish is welcome to join with us and trying to figure out how we can meet that objective. Which would mean more scholarship. Exactly. That's what which would mean about. more we, funds. We've gotten great support with a scholarship program, especially I think at you know the Episcopal Church women mm -hmm. did sustainers for the school for right. many years. But we gotta take that to the next level. Right. There are a lot of things we could do better financially um, that, again, I haven't gotten there yet. We did hire a new director of finance who knows the school well. He's been on the board in the past. 
So he knows what things look like and he has spent the past three weeks really just getting everything into the system that he wants and able to look at it and make some determination of ways we can improve. Um, and I think that will happen, um, not by itself, but we're, we're working toward that. Um, some of the things are to make sure our, our parents are paying on time, and I hate to say it that way, but as far as uh, finances are concerned, we have to make sure that that money is coming in. We don't have the luxury of, of depending on, right, right. So, um, so, you know, we have an annual fund coming up, we have our gala coming up, and any way the parish can give to help, help with that. I need a webmaster, if anybody knows anyone that knows how to, to do that, that would be incredible. I, I'm trying to do it, and I can only plug in things where, the, where it tells me to. I can't really write anything new. I don't know how to do that. Uh, but I'm, I'm trying, and it's not very pretty. But uh, <laughs> I'm doing my best. Um, Susan takes care of our uh, yearbook and putting, giving me pictures so that we can put different things out there. But, um, and I write an email to parents every week. We also have a MailChimp uh, newsletter we send out every two weeks or so. And so we are um, working on, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Being more open and transparent with our parents so they know where our needs are. And we've had several parents who have come in and said, hey, I know somebody who can, and they've helped us with that. So that's been, that's been nice. Any other questions? Well, talking about the art and science, uh -huh. would that be like, include a makerspace area? Because I volunteer at Clear Lake High School. And uh -huh. they have really incorporated makerspace in. The librarian brings all kinds of things out, and she says in too many cases we have this structured curriculum, and kids are doing a lot of memory work, and they don't have the opportunity to build things and fail and experiment sure. and figure out how things really work. Right. As a matter of fact, uh, not at that level, but our science mystery curriculum that our teachers are using this year is a lot of that. They have labs that they can do in their rooms, each lab is set up in like a plastic shoe box and the kids are able to take them out and build or use uh, trial and error to find out different things about uh, the objective that they're working on and different ways they can reach that objective. So it's hands-on kind of things. Yes, yes, yes to everything in that art and science lab. And the reason I would like to put it together is number one, the space we have and number two, our art teacher is here two times a week. And so three days a week, it could be used for science by our teachers or by our teachers if they want to do an additional art project, which I encourage that. I encourage that they use uh, arts and crafts and their hands every chance they get. So we could use that art and science lab for a lot of different things. But my big thing is I want a kiln. <laughs> I don't know why that's so big to me, but I think, you know, so many kids never get the chance to work with clay, and they could do so many, you know, you all have things your kids made that I have, I still have something I made that was a ghastly green and brown colored thing with a flower drawn on it, and I can remember as a small child crying about that piece of art, and I keep it as a reminder to me that it's okay that everybody does art their own way. My son, when he was five, came home crying because he couldn't color in the lines. And I was so angry because I said, who cares if you can color in the lines? I never colored in the lines. I didn't know how you do it. And so he came home another day upset because he couldn't do something in art that everybody else could do. His fine motor skills weren't there yet. It was fine. I said, well, you go back to school and you ask them how many of those boys could ride their bike without training wheels before they were three. None of them could. <laughs> <You're the laughs> so I, you know, I'm big on encouraging children to create at the age where they are and at the developmental level that they're at. Um, in our pre-K three class, our, um, 
teacher had them make flat Stanleys, similar to flat Stanleys. Does everybody know what a flat Stanley is? If you don't, it's just like a, pa a, a um, paper cutout of a paper doll, basically. But they decorated their own, and she had uh, yarn and buttons and fabric, and the kids put together their own flat Stanleys. And if they had curly hair, there was curly yarn, and they did them, and they are phenomenal. She drew the paper doll, and then they decorated it. And then they had to tell her five things about themselves. I have to tell you that there's probably four of them down there that nothing that they told her is true. <laughs> I have one brother and two sisters and a dog and a cat. One sister is it. They don't have any of those other things. So that was fun at parent night for them to come in and say, I'm, we don't, I don't know where he got that. You know, it's too funny. But uh, she lets them, and they are, they're very imaginative in that three-year-old class. They make up all kinds of good stories about family. Okay? Anything else? I hope that answered your question. Okay. I felt like I was kind of going around it. I thank you so much. I, I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Um, and uh, I absolutely love this school. It, it's a great place to be, great place for kids. If you have uh, grandkids or children or neighbors with children, please uh, tell them about St. Thomas and what a, what a great experience it, it, it is for children. Susan. Yard sign. So they're in the box underneath the signs. So there's signs on top of a brown cardboard box. And the box has the wires that you put the sign in and you just step it down into the yard. And it says, um, proud supporter of St. Thomas School, um, which every parishioner is, whether they mean to or not, right? Because this, you know, uh, this is a cute thing I get to do in Clericus is go to other churches in the area, you know, and I go to St. Christopher's and Good Shepherd, and they have some like Mother's Day on or early pre-key things that are great. They have a lot of classrooms for their church. And as you know, we have one. <laughs> we have one because we've decided to invest our property in our school. And, and that's why, I mean, really, this is our biggest visible outreach as a parish. This is the reason we have cars in our parking lot five days a week instead of one day a week. Right. And, and that's good stewardship of our space. I just I just want to say and, you know, we, we um, I don't want to fill your time, but, I, but it occurred to me to say a few other things to you about the school. Um, you know, when our school district's so good, I think there's always the question, well, why are we investing in this? Why, why are we? Because um, CCISD, I think, probably is a really good public school network. Um, I'm really glad my daughter gets to go here. I'm really glad she gets to go here instead of CCISD, where teachers and students, she's known to the entire school. Uh, that's, it's really nice for a young girl to be known by a parish and by a school. And that's true of every one of our students. The fifth grade teacher knows the pre-K three students by name. Uh, that's really special. Beyond that, we're forming our kids in a way of thinking about God and the world that they will not get anywhere else. And, and I really believe that about the Episcopal liturgy and I don't mean any disrespect to any other denomination, but our liturgy is without comparison. <laughs> it just is. And to be included at God's table at the Eucharist every week, I have students that haven't had their first Catholic communion, but they commune here every week. And um, I'm really proud of that for them. I'm really proud that they know that they're welcome and that they're invited, and that's part of their school identity. Whether they end up being Christian or not, they're being formed by our liturgy and by by the values of our liturgy that include things like generosity and respect and empathy. And these are some of our virtues of the month, forgiveness, kindness, honesty. I mean, we're really helping form up, a, a, granted, a very small group of this generation to be elected officials and to pursue justice, not personal interest, to pursue justice. I mean, these are the kinds of things we pray for every week. That's what we're investing in with the kind of education that we give. And, um, you know, 
you've heard about some of the, the, the school needs that are monetary, and that just happens. You know, this is one of those different things at, at, at my, my son who goes to public school, he's in high school, you know, kids just show up in school. We don't have to work to get them, and they don't have to work to keep them. There's nowhere you're going to go. Where else are you going to go? Homeschool? Yeah, I dare you to do that. Uh, so, you know, here, here we have to work to get our families, and in some ways it's good that we have to work to keep them. It means that we not only have to have excellent practices, but excellent communication. I mean, they have to feel at home here, and, and I, in some ways that's a strength of the whole educational program um, that, that, that we get to do that. Um, what that means, though, is that there's always room for, for, for work. And, you know, one of the things that's really neat about our school is, is that, that I make my own soap, and that's weird. I don't buy the glycerin kit at Michael's. I mean, I take lye, sodium um, hydroxide, and I mix that into water. And then I take uh, plant-based fat, and, and I mix that together chemically, and it saponifies over three weeks, and that's where soap comes from. And, and I do that anyway, because that's strange. Um, I like making my own soap, and it's cost-effective over buying homemade soap. Anyway, the last three years I've been here, I've made soap with the fourth graders. And we talk about pH, and we talk about chemical reactions, and they get to watch 60-degree water as soon as you stir the sodium hydroxide turn into 180 degrees. It happens chemically in about two seconds. Um, and they get a lesson on chemistry and on pH and on something they use every day. And... Um, they take some home, and, and that's a small bit. I would not be able to volunteer to do that as a parent at, a, at CCISD. I wouldn't, for lots and lots of reasons. Um, but what's great is we have a school that is ripe with opportunities for your personal and professional interest to educate our students. And perhaps in the former life, you were a chemist. Um, chemistry lessons are always appreciated. Perhaps in a former life, you had experience in the arts. And actually, the last school I came from, we had an art teacher, and we also had a network of parents who were served as art docents. And the work that our little day school kids could produce was mind-blowing. I mean, um, truly, it was, just, it was just fabulous because we had enough volunteers to come in and assist the art teacher, not only mechanically, but even assist with the direction of the program, that when our students would study uh, modern masters, I mean, they would make things like silk screens. In elementary school, they would make silk screens, which is a pretty neat thing to do. I've never done that as an adult. Um, and, 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 and these are ways, honestly, that the parish has this opportunity to partner with the school with our time. You know, one of the things Mary said is we're looking for a webmaster, and that doesn't mean the person's in the room. There's this interesting thing that, you know, when we know something's a problem, it doesn't mean we have to solve it. It, it, it just means the, the problem needs solving. <laughs> and and can, we help, can we help be connections to the solution? Does that make sense? I mean, that's been my experience of our parish in the flood. We're not a mucking parish by and large. We're not, because of our age and our jobs and our time. But golly, the work we've been doing to coordinate relief has been stellar, because that's what we have. We have connections, um, and, and we're doing it. And, and that's sort of the way that we can just get a little bit further all in on this. And, and, and I'd invite you, if you ever um, wake up early because you've got indigestion or something like that, come to chapel. <laughs> Uh, it's less, less 10 minutes. The Eucharist lasts about 20. But, but, but come to chapel sometime and see what our kids do. You know, the, the, the students bring chapel to church once a year on day school Sunday, and that's where we do the liturgy. You know, and it's, it's, it's not right one or two. It's right quick. Um, but but it's, it's adapted to be, to be um, children appropriate using the core concepts of, of both liturgies, if that makes sense. And many of you have now done this twice. And um, I'm pretty proud of that, actually, because our students know it. Our students know it, and, um, and they go home singing the songs that we sing in, in, in chapel, and that's, that's sort of a neat thing. Okay, maybe I'll talk too much about it. Any other things I could help you with about the school? Yeah. I have one question because I, I don't have young children. Yeah. Um, do we, are, are we uh, eligible for any government subsidy? Not a lot. I mean, in general, what we do get are these Title IX funds that, that Title, II. Title II, sorry, that help us... Um, do things like um, 
pro-growth, I mean, so they assist our teachers in professional growth and development, we can actually send our teachers to CCISD, CCISD events. But I'm glad you asked about funds. This is something to, to, to compare and contrast. We, and maybe it's good to know, our school right now has a budget that's sustainable at 60 students. That's a low enrollment school. That's what we call that, low enrollment school. And I think we have today 59 of those students, and we're pretty sure that we're going to get over the 60 mark, and we're just going to be fine. Okay, really, I'm pretty sure about that. Um, so that's where we are today. And if you think about that, that, that means that we've got about seven or eight students on average per class compared to 23. So just think about the individual attention that our, our students get. Um, probably our, our, our absolute max enrollment would be 96 with one class, you know, with one teacher per grade level, that'd be 96. That'd be big. Right, that'd be big, and, and we'd be kind of bursting out the seams. Um, probably the ideal enrollment is somewhere around 80 or 85 in the medium term. Right, that's that's where you know classes have 10 in general, 10, um, and think about the budget surplus of 20 students. Right, which would be really really helpful to our physical plant, etc. You know, the average student in CCISD comes with 17 and a half thousand dollars of funding per kid. That's what our taxes do. Seventeen and a half thousand dollars. Um, we're putting on an educational program for almost ten thousand dollars less a student, right? And just, just think about that. How different our life would be if we had the seventeen instead of the eight, you, you know? And what we're able to do with that money is is really incredible. Because I'll tell you um, that our school is better than CCISD. I'm just going to tell you that right now. Our teachers are paid less. Our facilities don't have bells and whistles. Um, like, not every student has an iPad. Thank God for that, actually. And really, as an educator, I am super grateful that our kids don't have iPads. Um, um, but th that's, that's part of the economics that we're up against. And yes, sir? Well, you're right on it. Because they're ready to use the resources. Yeah, and, mm. and, and somehow if we could find a way to get that message across, together with, again, some scholarship mm. to diversify our school, I think we'd be at the, I think that's a nice way. That gives me two other things I want to talk about, and then I'll let us go real early, okay? Uh, normally I like to keep it till 1025. Um, um, one is that there's a parent at the school that has two students and told me that they were scrimping and saving for college and they got their kids in CCISD and they had this moment where they thought we could, we could just save for college but we're really afraid that our kids will not be interested in learning if we keep them in this environment. And what the parents decided was they would continue saving for college, but that part of what they were putting aside, they would instead invest in education now so that their students would be interesting students. It's a pretty neat narrative, right? The difference is relatively palpable, right? And of course, you can't always say, you can't always guarantee that, but that's an interesting investment strategy. It brought me back actually to when I was teaching at two schools ago, a school in, um, La Jolla, California, which you may know that the, the median home price there is two and a half million dollars. The tuition at the school was $30,000 and they had a waiting list. And um, they did this bold experiment by creating a sixth grade and the sixth grade students could not have grades. This was the most, this is a top 10 school in the United States, the Bishop's School. I mean, it's, it's, it's an incredible school. And the teachers run that school which is interesting. I've never been in a school where the teachers, the administration would ask permission from us to do things. It was so interesting. And, um, and they started this sixth grade, and as a, as a teacher, I'd have got half off. So I'd have been paying $15,000, which would have been almost half my take-home pay. 
to send my kid there. And I had this, this realization that their sixth grade and their middle school program was so, it, was, it had excellence, but it was so, so nurturing. And the teachers had these high standards with this individual relationship. And the students were guaranteed that their peers would have the same values that I had, that I thought I would blow the whole college account to send my kids to middle school at that school. Middle school, the worst years of my life, right? Um, to, to have a good middle school experience, knowing that they could have got a scholarship to go anywhere. You know, I mean, that was one of those turnaround things for me. Um, the, 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 the other thing that, that David mentioned that we, that we of course, want to pay attention to is um, providing opportunities for scholarships. Right now, we have something called financial aid that people can apply for, and part of what they have to do to do this is um, enter their W-2 information, and there's a computer program that generates recommended results. And we have a small budget. I just have to be honest with you. We have a small budget, and the gala goes entirely to supporting it. So you're going to hear about that gala. It, it's, it's, it supports that. And we've done really great with that, especially last year was a bumper year when we needed it. Um, so, so that's what happens. The maximum award is like 50%. 50% of your tuition is financial aid. What David's talking about is something different. David's talking about socioeconomic scholarships. I have one student exactly one student who's getting a scholarship right now. The school doesn't give scholarships. The way this worked is they made a donor who knew that this particular family had a hardship, wrote a donation in a restricted account called Rector's Scholarship, which I'm the sole distributor of, and it was, what do you know, for tuition. So, so I'm giving one scholarship this year. Most of you don't even know this exists, even if you work at the school, because well, it doesn't exist anymore. I've spent it. <laughs> that's what we're doing. But that's the sort of thing that David's talking about. And this is something to get our heads around. We always think about this as a church, and we don't really know the answer, is that we have people in our community that could be interested but can't come. I mean, I just can't. Just, oh, they live here, too, and they live on Nassau Bay Tribe. And, and the other thing we have to figure out, right, is not just... How do we get the money? How do we create trust in them that they would want to come here? And how do we accompany their kids the rest of the time? It's one thing to give a scholarship, but if a kid's not getting basic needs met at home, then it's, it's, not, a, it's not really a 360 investment. And that's one of those things that, that I think we have to grow as a school. How do we accompany students through our program and as they go on to the next bit? Of course, they need stability in their home life, they need things like regular food and possibly tutoring. So it's not just, hey, come for free. It's come for free and go home with blank. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. No, I think that's what comes with that. We used to have sort of a free ride to diversity when Johnson Space Center was in its heyday because we had people coming in from all Well, what you're saying is true. We've had a history, and we still do. I want to say 20% of our students are from foreign nationalities outside of the United States today. That's true. We, we, we have, um, we've had religious diversity, including you know, plenty of Jewish students come through here, atheist agnostic students, all different brands of Christianity. We've had international and uh, racial diversity. What we've never had is socioeconomic diversity. And that's what you're talking about, yep. I think. Yep. And, and it is our mission. And I'm positive that our church can succeed because uh, we sent people to the moon. <laughs> that seems like a harder thing than what we're talking about. So I think we can do it. And, and really, more than anything, what I want you to hear from me is thank you for investing. Even just that you're here today, thank you for investing in this school. It means a lot to my family, and that's part of the reason 
I want to fight for it so much because I know it means what it means to me for the other 59, 58 kids who are here right now. Uh, again, thanks, thanks for your time and thanks for your warm welcome of Mary and see you next week. <laughs>